Hello and welcome to Note Doctors Summer Shorts. My name is Paul. My name is Jen. My name is Ben. And we are your hosts. We are all university music theory instructors who are passionate about music theory and music theory instruction. In these short episodes, we will be sharing with each other and all of you musical examples and teaching tips covering a wide range of topics. So if you want to know more about music theory and the most effective and innovative ways to teach it, this is the podcast for you. Good morning. I guess it is morning here for the Note Doctors. Uh, Welcome to Note Doctors, uh, our first ever book club, summer book club. And we are talking um, about a really important new book that's come out uh, in the past few months by Philip Yule called On Music Theory and Making Music More Welcoming for Everyone. And so we are kind of like a book club in that we are going to be talking about the book um, as we drink coffee, and I'm going to eat some of my Pop-Tarts, so it's not wine and cheese, <laughs> and we are going to talk about the book. We're not just going to use this as an excuse just to chat about whatever, like a typical book club, but we're actually going to talk about the book, I hope. Um, but uh, we're going to just kind of um, read through this together, and hopefully, um, if you have the book, you can read along with us and... Uh, engage with us online um, as we as a as we move through this really important but challenging uh, book. Um, and if you're familiar with his work and just kind of the things that have happened over the past couple of years since about 2020, uh, you may know where this is going. If not, um, uh, you'll I'm sure have a have a great time and learn a lot. And we're going to learn a lot too. As we get into this, I thought one way we could do this is to talk about my. Um, sort of addiction to theology podcasts, which if you think about what could be more abstract than music theory, theology, right? Talking about, you know, like, like a metaphysical thing or that doesn't or does exist. We don't even know. We did. We can't prove it. Right. Um, And so, uh, but one of the, one of the podcasts I like to listen to is they, they always talk about how every theology has an adjective because in the field of theology, if you don't know, there are all sorts of fields of study in theology. There's, of course, theology, right? But there's also womanist theology, feminist theology, black theology, liberation theology, queer theology, all these other theologies, right, that you can uh, study, right? But what do you notice about all of those theologies, right? They're all, um, they're all focused on folks who are not in the majority, right? And... There's also a field of study called just theology, right? Actually, Which, women are in the majority. We oh, just, there we go. There yeah, you go. We churches. just are not in charge. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, like, of course, like, well, there's, you can just study theology. But, of course, that has an adjective, too. And that is generally white, German, male, straight, you know, folks who are doing right. theology. But that's assumed to be, you know, just theology, Right. Um, which is a huge problem. And so um, there's this uh, racial and gender frame that's applied to that field. And similarly, there is that frame in music theory. I mean, we don't technically have feminist music theory or, you know, or we don't have people maybe that say they're feminist music theorists. Perhaps they do. I don't know. We have feminist musicologists. I think we have Um, a committee on gender equity and identity yeah. equity mm-hmm. right yeah right but it's just music theory right but music theory has an adjective 
And uh, there's a good video by Adam Neely on, on this topic with Philip Yule, and he likes to talk about how you can substitute music theory with the harmonic style of 18th century European musicians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that's what we're really talking about when we talk about music theory, is, is we think that music theory is this universal um, symbol or, or, or signifier uh, for all musics, when in fact, when we're talking about music theory, there is a big adjective or a big asterisk, and we're talking mainly about music in the harmonic style of 18th century European musicians. Or you could even dig deeper in, you know, because um, he kind of avoids the gender and the racial aspects of that with that definition. But, you know, music theory is white, is male, right? And that's something that Phil Yule talks about in this book and in his in his uh, lecture that he gave at um, SMT, was it 2020, 2021? I should have looked that up. Do we remember? 2020, I'm pretty sure. Pretty okay. Sure. No, it was 2019. Oh, the 2019, right, because then, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah you're right. November. Right, and so he opened that up with music theory is white. That was how, how he opened up his, his, uh, his talk. And so that's what we're kind of going to the topics that we're going to be digging into in this book and how, what uh, Phil Yule is going to be kind of um, talking about is this white racial frame that is surrounding music theory and has been um, largely just unacknowledged, right? It's just, you know, right. as that's how it is, right? And um, we, we need this book. I, I think it's normal not to see the frames that we're operating in because that's kind of the system, right? Like that's the, that's the way it's made. I did this um, really excellent DEI workshop through Chorus America, actually in 2020. And um, one of the first exercises we did is she had us write down like a set number of adjectives about ourselves. And what we all noted was that no one wrote down, some of them were just adjectives, like I am academic or I, you know, whatever. But no one wrote down adjectives that were majority adjectives, right? Like, no one wrote, I'm a white male. I wrote woman, but I didn't write white. So, and she pointed out that, like, the when you're in the frame, when you fit inside the frame, right, it's very hard to see that you're in it. You only see the frame if you're outside it um, until it's pointed out to you and you, you know, are able to kind of face it and deal with it. So we need this book and we should all be thanking Phil in a major way for being willing to do the work of explaining all of this to a group of predominantly white people. Because as one of very few people of color in this world he's ended up being sort of tasked with this, even though I think it's research that he enjoys and is doing willingly and nobody's making him. But oftentimes, you know, people get tasked with these things because they are the ones who can explain, right? So thanks, Phil. I yeah, don't know if you listen yeah. to us, thank but you for <laughs> thank you for doing that, work. doing that work. Yeah, and speaking of being in the frame... I mean, Ben and I, we're definitely in the frame, just yep. <laughs> in, case, in case anyone wants gotta to know. got to start with our acknowledgments. It's right, really good yeah. Thing. That's true. I yeah. mean, we're, we're both white, straight dudes, um, you know, middle class, you know, 
And so that's, that's where we come from. And so um, that's where we have to kind of position ourselves. And mm-hmm. um, it's, that's, that's really important. And it has, it has, we have benefited from that. And that's something that is important to acknowledge and, and recognize from us is that we have benefited and, you know, we haven't had to do nearly the work that non-white music theorists have had to do. So that's important to acknowledge. Totally, totally mm-hmm. agree. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's dive into this book. So we're going to be going through this book kind of chapter by chapter in each episode. I'm not sure how long these episodes are going to be. I mean, technically, these are summer shorts, but we're just going to see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are there are six full chapters in this book. And if you haven't gotten the book, please get it. It's it's not a huge book. It's I think. You know, for an academic book, it's less than 300 pages. So, you know, hey, that's, that's, that's summer reading, basically, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, six chapters with an intro and an outro at the end. Um, and so we're going to talk about the intro of it and, and then the, 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 the first chapter, which is on music theory, race, and racism. And we're going to not probably try to do a blow-by-blow blow because literally there's just so much that we can that we, it would take, you know, two hours just to really kind of scratch the surface <laughs> of, of this. Yeah. And so we are going to kind of give our impressions and our thoughts and things that stood out to us. Um, one of the important things that he goes over in the intro, in the intro is this distinction between DEI and anti-racism. And I think that's an important distinction to make and to set up because those words do get conflated sometimes. And mm-hmm. I, just thinking about my own, my own self and the ways that I've tried to make my classroom more diverse and accepting and open, what I've really been doing is primarily DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion activities, rather yeah. than anti-racist activities, right? Yeah. And right. So, um, so what is the definition of DEI? Either of you guys got it pulled up? or? Well, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think... I think of it this way, and he he kind of says the same thing in the article that he wrote, um, the that he wrote that was similar to his talk. Um, but I think of it this way: DEI is trying to make the frame bigger to include more people. Anti-racism is dismantling the frame. Yes, yeah, I have the quote here too. In short, DEI leaves white structures intact and in control while anti-racism dismantles those structures. Yeah. So there you go. And he definitely positions on music theory as a focus on anti-racism and not DEI. And I think it's a really important distinction. I agree with Paul. Some of the things that I've done would definitely fall under the DEI category, but yeah. not under the anti-racism mm-hmm. category, which really truly means doing the hard work to dismantle the structures that mm-hmm. keep the white racial frame in power and in control and yeah that's it's really hard work to do but Mm -hmm. it's important to make that distinction because you can think that you're doing something oh that's really helpful but it's not it's really just kind of reinforcing it's just a facade i think he says that as well you think you know you're doing something but sometimes it can be you know more threatening or more significant in terms of reinforcing because it's just well and this is jumping ahead but he talks about how like smt as a society has done all of these things 
And the sort of like mic drop moment is when he says, I think it's time to acknowledge that all of this has failed. Yeah. Like we're still, we still are who we were when, when all of that started, however many, 25 years ago. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I doubt there'll be a day where we can be like, we've now done it. You know, like, <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't think that day will arrive. It's no. something that we have to do every week and keep coming back to and keep acknowledging and especially at the beginning of your courses and, you know, trying to really be upfront about like, what is this course consisting of? What is this course kind of reinforcing? What is our perspective? What is my perspective? You know, you know, as we said at the beginning, that's important right. to start with. So it's a really good definition. DEI and anti-racism. Yeah. And so, well, we could kick, we could go into a little bit of how, um, we define music theory because I think that's a good place to start and that's how he starts in the first chapter and he has these definitions of music theory from kind of music music dictionaries and music encyclopedias and I think you know me you know 10 15 20 years ago would have read you know these definitions and like oh that's that covers it. It's pretty good, right? I mean, maybe five years ago. Yeah. I would have read this and been yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, and so let's, maybe I can read this, read this one. And so this one um, is from the uh, definition of a theory in the Oxford Music Online from 2013 by David Carson Berry and Sherman Van Sokema. Sorry if I mispronounced their name. Um, here's the initial paragraph that uh, Philip, um, quotes here, an area of study that tends to focus on musical materials per se in order to explain and or offer generalizations about their various principles and processes. It investigates how these materials function or in a more speculative vein, how they might function so that musical structure can be better understood. More broadly in the United States, music theory refers to an academic discipline with a dual focus on research and pedagogy. Regarding the latter, especially at the undergraduate level and earlier, theory is often coterminous. Oof. Coterminous. I had to look, <laughs> I had to look up that word. I was like, <laughs> what is that word? Coterminous. Yeah, uh, right. Coterminous with a program for teaching a variety of skills, from the rudiments of melody and rhythm to harmony, counterpoint, and form along with their attendant ear training or oral perception, because who needs that, right? Um, related <laughs> to, but standing apart from these fundamentals of praxis are the various research areas of modern theory. It should be noted that music analysis plays a major role in this agenda, although conceptually separate from theory, in that analysis often focuses on the particulars of a given composition, whereas theory considers the broader systems that underlie many such works. In practice, the two have a reciprocal relationship. Seemingly innocuous definition of music theory, you think? Um, but, um, you know, it uh, points to whiteness <laughs> and, yeah. and Europeanness, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. How so? <laughs> well, uh, you know, first of all, it, like, what it says more specifically in the United States. So we're only focusing on this sort of one place where music theory exists. And I know that in modern music theory, you know, there are reasons for that, but still we're pointing to that one space, but it's much bigger than that because it's about materials and structure and form all things function, right? Mm -hmm. All things that relate directly to the long time study of 
music by white men from Germany, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you're talking about materials, I mean, that point that's pointing to a score or, right, a, or an object, mm-hmm. right, that you can study. So that privileges music that's notated, right? Right, right, right. off the bat. And so... Yeah. I think, I mean, this is definitely how I was like, quote unquote, raised in music theory, right? Yeah. Is yeah. like musicology looks at the context. Music theory just looks at the music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It's this imagine it's this imagined perspective that we can come to anything with this hundred percent objective perspective. Right. We right. just we just come to the score, man. We're just looking right. at the notes, right? It's and then our what we observe just is you know just straight there's nothing con- uh, contaminating it or <laughs> skewing right. it or biasing it and i mean that's I, I think that's happening all you know that's what's part of the postmodern um experience is that we are learning that we are all contingent and we're all dependent and um we subjective humans and we cannot actually have these like objective um perspectives and yet music theory we're trying to hold on to this like <laughs> modernist notion that we can you know go to the text and just you know look at it and pull something out of it without any of our own cont- context and perspective um uh coloring it for lack of a better word uh <laughs> in a way coloring it right we're coloring it white right. yeah yeah i think the the implication is also that and and phil states this that you know, if you have new music that's notated, it's somehow like more Better. sophisticated or more complex yeah. or like there's more to it. And like, more I, worthy I, of I study. totally, yeah, I've totally seen that in my students, you know, if like they'll ask me if like, oh, I can, can I submit my final project, uh, you know, in a, in a doll or can I, and I was like, yeah, you know, like you, you can submit to me how you, you know, a sketching of how you got to it, you know, but like I'm mm-hmm. trying to not force my students to write every single thing down in such a very conventional white European way, you know, it's hard to get away from because we're so entrenched. Right. And even students will come to me assuming that that's, you know, what I want. And I'm trying to be like, well, I'm flexible, you know, if you're comfortable with that, you know, it doesn't mean that your music is less sophisticated if it's not written down like mm-hmm. that. Those two things right. are just not, that's a false connection that you know, music theory has peddled over the years, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, it's really good to see that really pointed out and starting with the, the definition, even boiling it down to just Schenker and sets. I thought that was, oof. Yeah, there's a, yeah. I, I can pull that up here. Yeah, so. I've heard that. I mean, yes. I have yeah. actually heard that in conversations with people. That is not just something that he pulled randomly. I, so this, I've really encountered that. I think this is from the same, this, um, this might be from the same definition continuing it's on. The next, maybe page, yeah. 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 it's the next page. Yeah. At the, this is another quote from, uh, uh, I believe this is from the Oxford, uh, music online at the beginning of the 1980s. It could be claimed that the main areas of American theory involved on the one hand, Shankarian studies of tonal music. And on the other hand, the investigation of 20th century music through 12 tone and set theories, a dual emphasis sometimes summarized with the alliteration Shanker and sets. You know, what's funny is when I read that, I was like, I felt like I was experiencing my own history retold a little bit reading this Mm -hmm. because my research and the way I think about music has never fallen easily into either of those categories. And as someone who is 
definitely in the minority, those stats are going to come up in music theory as a female. Like when I was approaching writing a dissertation, I think I felt like I had to do one of those two things. Yeah, totally. And and in many ways, I, I didn't really, I didn't do set theory, but I did talk about, you know, 1920s serialism in Germany. Everybody loves and, talking about it. It's just it's the best. <laughs> well, do they? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think I felt like really pushed that direction. And right. I know that without a doubt, what I really wanted to do was write a pedagogy dissertation. But it was made very clear to me in a number of ways that that was unacceptable and perhaps even harmful to my career if I were to go down that path. And the irony is I'm at a teaching institution that would have loved that, you know? So even that part is not true, but there's all this kind of like fear around stepping outside of these norms. And sometimes you don't even realize that's what's going on. Like when I read that, I was like, I think it just finally clicked for me after all of these years that that's how I ended up doing this like translation of a German text. It's not that I didn't enjoy the work, um, but yeah, <laughs> it's it's not the thing. The frame itself the, tends to push you around a bit. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And trying trying to be successful in situations that don't match you is really draining. And sometimes you just say, I'm just going to do what they want. I'm just going to do what they want. And then I can just actually get this PhD and get out of here. And, you know, there were so many steps along the way where like, and he, he gets to this, but this idea of merit, in fact, we might've already passed it. That might've even been in the intro where he talks about this idea of merit And there were so many steps along the way where like barriers were just in my path trying to get this doctorate. And I remember so many times being either directly told or feeling myself that it was because I wasn't as good as my colleagues. I didn't know as much. I wasn't as trained. I wasn't as smart. I don't know, you know, and no one ever directly was like, you're not as smart as the boys. I mean, no one said that, but, but it becomes clear when, you know, when you take quals and all the guys pass and all the women have to redo sections, but it's like, well, but yours wasn't correct. Or you, this is what you did wrong. You know, just, it's all these little moments over time. Yep. So it's like Phil's yeah. tenure battle at Hunter college that yep. he discusses. It's like, you can say that it's about an objective perspective, a, you know, judgment based on the facts or the evidence. But mm-hmm. the truth is if you're within the frame and you're operating, you know, as you know, a white straight male, you have a lot of advantage that comes with that. Well, and it's that the because the frame is that, that your ideas are naturally not going to fit that because that's not who you are. Right. Right. And so maybe it's true that I don't match the merits of that system because I never could. I'm never going to be male. Right. It's simply not possible. So if that's the merit, I'm never going to get there. You know, it's that ship sailed. 
on June second, nineteen eighty. Wait, don't the, doesn't don't, doesn't everyone start female and then go with the X chromosome? Sounds like no, that's so, true. So it yeah. started nine yeah. months before <laughs> June second, nineteen eighty. You had no chance. You had no chance. No <laughs> chance. You know. And I mean, again, I say all of that as someone who has had a lot of success at the same time. I'm not, this is not like a woe is me kind of thing to say, but when I read that, it was a sort of profound moment for me of being like, you know, I think we have all been sort of forced into some of these boxes in our own ways. And sometimes they're comfortable for people or maybe even enjoyable and that's fine. Or you, know? you don't even know you're in a box. Exactly. That's the, that, that is the, that's, that's the place to be. You, exactly. you don't have an idea. It's like this, you know. It's the allegory of the cave. Yeah. <laughs> but see, and, the consequence, and I think Phil Yule does a good job of discussing this, too. The consequence of that is that the power in music theory, you know, he talks about the demographic data, the power in music theory, then by these promotional structures being an ableist for the white racial frame, that creates then even more whiteness because then the people yeah. who... You know, are fitting that and more easily exactly. promoted, and then those tenure track professors or tenured professors, you know, becoming tenured professors, then hold all the power, and then it just becomes, mm-hmm. you know, cyclic almost, where it's like, how do you break this like cycle of like whiteness being in control and the power structure? You know, that's, yeah. I mean, it, it it's unfortunately connected, and that's what's really hard to it is. dismantle piece by piece. Is that? Yeah. He points out, and he's right, that this box is not just harmful to those of us who are outside of it. You know, I mean, it means that maybe, you know, well, Ben, you wrote a Schenker dissertation. Like, we are literally matching what this describes (laughs) in some ways. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was exactly what you wanted to do. No. But, yeah, it harms everyone. Right. It does. It It does. I definitely felt like I needed to fit my dissertation into the kind of pre-existing model or like it said, the definition of theory that, you know, I thought was, I guess, the definition of music theory. I I definitely did that. I mean, I kind of since given up on my Beethoven and Schenker, I mean, I pretty much abandoned it completely, you know which maybe some people would say is unfortunate, but I just see that as me actually just more coming into my own and actually accepting what music theory really truly means, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I, there were people at the time who were like, why have you not presented on your dissertation? And I remember finally, <laughs> well, I remember finally at one point being like, I have tried. I have tried. I've sent in proposal after proposal, but it's not about Brahms. And it is about 12-tone music, but it's not about Schoenberg. And so everybody's like, well, this is interesting, but I don't know where I put it. I got that feedback from multiple, like, there are, TSMT is one that's great. They will give you feedback on your proposal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was some of the feedback I got was like, well, this is very interesting, but we don't have a, we don't have a, like, category to put it in. We don't have a session for that. We only have a session. We don't have a box for you. (laughs) Like, we don't have a box for you. Even though I was writing about, you know, 1920s serialism. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had the same experience. I was trying to talk about, like, Italian music, Renaissance. Now, still, that's not very much outside. 
you know, but it's not it's Germanic centric <laughs> and it's not right. classical period. It was early or very, very much earlier. And I would submit it to conferences and just the rejections, you know, you just get rejected from everything because yep. nobody knows what to do with it. I, I think that some of that is beginning to change where, you know, you have people who wouldn't have submitted this paper before to the SMT, but now they are, you know, willing to submit and the program committee is willing to yeah. accept it. But I think in the past, that was not the case. I think the program committees of regional SMTs and national SMT were not as accepting as they probably thought they were being at the time. Right. Well, and again, it's this isn't malicious. <laughs> it's not like somebody was sitting there like, oh, right. well, she's a woman, so let's make sure there were plenty of women who presented, right, <laughs> at these mm-hmm. conferences. It's not what it's about. And it was not, none of the people sitting on these program committees, or at least typically, these are not people, generally speaking, intending harm. But I think now we get a new frame now like we can see it now you know you see the glass you've been looking through Mm -hmm. so yeah it's time to for all of us to do better it's like you said to stop trying to be inclusive in my music theory classroom and actually be anti-racist right to yeah to do better so this is this is the definition that um phil gives for what he thinks you could use to define music theory. And it's really short. It's just simply, he writes here, um, to give a much simpler definition for music theory, one to which I'd like to aspire is this, the interpretation, investigation, analysis, pedagogy, and performance of any music from our planet. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Because then it doesn't get into, well, does it have to have a score? Does it have to have this or that? Mm-hmm. Does it have to have structure or counterpoint or all of these other signifiers okay. that help to make this frame super tight and super small onto a particular you know, mm-hmm. type of music written by a particular type of composer? Um, well, I, it would be good to talk a little bit about the, the stats that he brings up. You guys talked about um, mm-hmm. the the uh, the demographics and I, that was really interesting and and Ben you you really bring up that important point of the it's not it's not that okay we it's it's good to have you know more diverse members of SMT but it's really more important to have that those leadership positions be more diverse and that's not what's happening um, and so I pulled a couple. Uh, percentages here um, and so oh, I don't know in the last one what year this was taken in SMT but 83.7 of SMT's members are white right um, and let's see if I can find that what year oh in 2019 in 2019 mm-hmm. and then this is the the telling thing 93.5 percent of tenure faculty in American music theory are white and that's that's the a huge problem right I mean just mm-hmm. like I didn't ask you, I didn't prep you guys on this. How many music fact, how many music professors in your entire um, college career, undergrad through doctorate, were people of color that you, that you actually took a class from? I have one, one in, I mean, I, I went to three inst- different institutions. I had one professor who was a person of color. Let me think. 
I don't want to overlook someone, so that's why right. I'm really thinking. Yeah. But if if the stipulation is I have to have taken a class from them. You had to take a class with them. Right. It's not just they were in the school. I think it might be zero. It might be zero. Wait, did you say person of color? I've got yes, black, black so, so so it could be any person, yeah, it could non-white be, could be any, person. Non, any non-white any non-white well and that's got, the thing like I've got my, one we might all have the same one I don't yeah. know because we all went to school together <laughs> yeah and I mean, I as you're, yeah because as you're thinking about that Ben because uh, what made me think about this was actually my daughter's first grade teacher all right so when she was in first grade she had uh, a, a black teacher. Right, and we live in Denton, which is it's Texas, but it's it's pretty diverse. Like we've got we've got a lot of uh, Hispanic families, we have black families, we have um, it's not just all white. And 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 I thought that was great because I grew up in a very rural uh, part of Ohio. We had Amish, so we had that was our diversity. But we had, we had <laughs> that was it, right? But basically, you know, everyone's white um, and sort of German, right? Because that's what Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I, I started I started thinking about this after you know ha- having my daughter have a a black teacher. I was like, when did I ever have a person of color in a place of authority in my life as a mm-hmm. teacher, doctor, professor? Um, pastor, you know, any of those kind of role models or people that you look up to or have authority over me, were all white, almost exclusively. And what does that do to you when you grow up in that a system like that? Yeah. And you never see a black person as a leader, right? Or as an authority or someone that 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 has ability to lead. Right. Um, I mean, I remember when Jesse Jackson was running for president when I was a kid and my parents were like, that's the craziest thing ever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, That tells me how old I am. Um, But that that does something to you and it it creates it helps to create this frame that leaders and people in authority are white and generally male. Right. Do not know that I have ever had a black teacher ever in my whole life yeah not in school not in college i don't think i ever have yeah i studied with (laughs) i want to say my number is going to be three and unfortunately i guess that's the highest that's really weird i feel like i didn't study with hardly any persons of color but they're um the reason why I was thinking so hard is that I don't really know if the, one of them identifies as white or not. Or not. Definitely English is a second language. They're South American. Um, but definitely two, probably three total. Um, but still, the fact that that's like the highest out of the three of us is just so sad because we've studied with so many different people. Yeah. And gosh, yeah. I mean, especially higher ed, you know, is really... Mm-hmm. But that also better. like reinforces, you know, when we look at, you know, a leadership board of a of a committee or a conference or or um, some institution, we don't see that they're all white. They're just at the that's just that's leaders are white because <laughs> every right. leader in my life until Barack Obama uh, <laughs> was white. Right. Uh, well, and we had a division head at UNT who was black, uh, Eileen Hayes and. She was a wonderful division head. She was not at UNT all that long. Maybe, I don't know, five years, something like that. 
Um, but I never took a class with her right. because I, I might have even been, I might have been either ABD or coming up to it when she was there. So I didn't have many classes left mm-hmm. to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also taught in ethnomusicology, which <laughs> here right. we are again, was not, I had not a single required class ever in my whole three degrees in music. I never had a required class in world music, ethnomusicology, none of it. Yeah. Yeah, luckily that's changed now. But yeah. You're totally right that back in the day it was not part of the curricular design and I mean, let's yeah. start with we're already like othering it. Like this is where we study the music of not <laughs> right. us, right? But like Yeah. But I still well, never had to do it. I was And never... even ethnomusicology, I think as a term you know, is not the appropriate yeah. term, I think, is, you know, some people yeah. like to think go by music anthropology or just musicology. That's better, yeah. Depending on the nuance of their studies. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're totally right. Even just saying ethnomusicology as a field, I think some of the talks that I've gone to, I've just tried to do my best to attend as many talks on Zoom as I can. It's not feasible to attend everything. No. But, you know, Phil's given a lot of talks on Zoom that are really accessible. And some people that are in, we'll say, musicology or music anthropology have also given talks. And I've tried to attend as many of them as I can on Zoom. I can't make it to everything, but this has come up multiple times with just the term ethnomusicology and, you know, the fact that the SMT has its own meeting. And I know some of my colleagues really wanted to submit, let's say, analytical papers. Uh, musics that are outside the white racial frame and even submit them to S&T because they're like, ah, I won't even get considered, I won't get, you know, get rejected. And it's just like, how sad is that? It's, yeah. it's just like a brilliant analysis of something that would really enrich the S&T and it's not even like getting submitted. It's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's when you know you have a huge problem is that you're even like excluding people they're not even like willing to put it put it forth (laughs) my goodness it's not a secret folks right (laughs) people know (laughs) so so yeah you're totally right jen Uh, well speaking of you know uh musics and uh the musics that we cover you know he also has a great section on the musical examples in common uh, music theory textbooks and he gives examples from uh or uh, lists the examples from seven of the most you know common textbooks we use one of them at our school uh, we do uh, too i mean this he says this is 96 percent oh, of yeah. the market share mm-hmm. yeah this so is so yeah. almost everyone is using one of these seven books yeah luckily we got rid of ours Whew. good for you i man. did get calls from the publisher <laughs> ah, emails yeah. why 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 well, I'm sure and because your classes are like 200 people. <laughs> should I confess that I use the term racist or should I not? Well, I guess it's already out there now. <laughs> oh, but so so he he brings a lot of uh, kind of important and kind of I like mind-boggling stats which I think are if you even spend 5 seconds thinking about it are not that mind-blowing. But yeah. 98% of the music examples from the seven representative textbooks were w- written by white persons. 98% of the musical examples 
And these are books on music theory, as in like mm -hmm. four semesters, that these are, these are the uh, classes that all music majors have to take. You know, we, I hate it when people say, oh, you know, higher ed, they're indoctrinating people and all this stuff like that. That's ridiculous. If we could indoctrinate people, they would come to class on time. But, <laughs> but when you look at, yeah. like, we are, we are sending a message Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're indoctrinating, but may maybe we are, that we're indoctrinating them in that music theory is by white guys. You know, if 98% of the examples in our books, um, that's a problem. And he even goes into more detail by looking at the examples by just by Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart in those seven yep. common music theory textbooks. One of those textbooks, the Aldwell Schachter and Cadwallader, 50% of their examples are by just those three guys. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the one that has the lowest, which is the Clendenning Marvin, which is the book that, that we use, um, 30%, 30% of the- And <laughs> here's the thing, we use it for this reason. Right. Like I, I looked into trying to find a textbook that had the most possible examples by women and people of color. And this, this is the book. And I mean, to say that they are doing something radical when it's still, so I'm looking at this chart, okay? Examples by non-white people. If I round up to be generous, it's 3% in our text. And by women, if I round up again, to be generous, it is 3%. Yeah. And some of those might overlap. I, I don't know. I don't know all the examples off the top of my head, but Mm -hmm. You know, and that's rounding up. I mean, it's actually not 3%. It's like 2.98 and 2.7 something, 8. Yeah, right. 2.7. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. And every every edition that they have released, there's more, which mm -hmm. is another reason why I, you know, chose the book and have, have stuck with it. But looking at this, it's like, it's so, I, I don't know. Did anyone else feel tired? <laughs> I don't know. Just like... Well, There's so much still to do. Oh, what, yeah. And so much of that is falling under the DEI, you know. Yes. Right, right. It's, okay, well, let's just bring in more folks of color into into this frame, right? right? Rather than actually questioning the existence of this frame at all. Right. You know? Well, and yeah. the Clendenning Marvin at least does devote, like, two entire chapters to popular music and contains lots of non-written examples where you use recordings Talks to analyze rap. and things like that. So it at least is moving, you know towards other types of music which again is why i picked this book and but looking at it i'm like it's not enough <laughs> picking yeah. this book was not enough it's not like mm -hmm. i thought it was but you you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. it's still it, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't let us off the hook as instructors no right? that's what we hope we're like well we just get this book we'll have more <laughs> like no you're not off the hook like no this no. is not no. going to make you you know, uh, an anti-racist instructor. This is not going to make your no. classroom you know, equitable for all. No, that's still your job. Um, no. This book can help, certainly, um, but it's not a silver bullet. No. Yeah, better better than using the one that has zero. No, right. right. But when your max end is like three percent non-white, you're still like, oh gosh, gulp. Actually, the Roy Francoli, I'm looking at this, and it has 3% by people of color, 3.2, .2, 
and 7.4 by women. Yeah. But then uh, there's another chart that talks about like how many not Mozart, Beethoven, Bach composers there are. And Clendenning Marvin does do, has like the most there. Mm -hmm. So a broader representation, in other words, like more than just five examples by the same woman or whatever. Yeah. Though he then brings up the fact that most of these composers that they're bringing in to make the textbooks more diverse are black and ignoring right. people, you know, uh, Asian composers, things like that. Right. Um, so I think one. I think Clendenny uh, Marvin's only one. They had like two. Chen Yi and uh, Toru Takahatsu. Yeah. Uh, but just two, but just two of those com two two composers. Right. So there's lack of diversity in in, in the d diversity. Um, no, I mean, I I know I just said, does anyone else feel tired? It, it is pretty early, friends. But I I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do feel energized. Like I read it and I felt very like, you know, there's not going to be some right time to start doing the things we need to be doing, even if we don't fully know what they are. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, the, I need like a note on my wall in my office or something that says like, keep doing it and keep doing it better. <laughs> you know, like just keep going. And, yes. mm -hmm. you know, I, uh, one of the, uh, towards the end of this first chapter, he says, um, he talks about how he's presented at a lot of, conferences, regional conferences and things like that, given talks about all this. And um, he did at TSMT. It was a it was a great talk. And yep. I, you know, thanked him separately. We had a really nice exchange. And um, but he said that someone accuses him of calling classical music racist, <laughs> which <laughs> is what I, I don't know. That's kind of an odd way to put it anyway. But it's sort of expressing this feeling of like, well, you're calling what I love racist. And he mm -hmm. says, I have only ever called two, like in all my writings and, and talks, I have only ever called two people racist. I've never called a field racist per se. I've never called like all of classical. I have called two people racist. One was Schenker and there's very little denying that that's the case given mm -hmm. everything he wrote and everything he said, you know, um, and, and that has been, I think sort of widely accepted, which is also kind of his point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the other is himself, because if we, if we don't look at ourselves and say like, I've been a part of this, um, we can't go forward. Yep. Mm-hmm. It creates a blockade. It creates a reinforcement. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have. I definitely have. I definitely have. I fully, fully admit that. Yeah, and I think that that's at the heart of it is is this in this text, and people might get offended by it or or uh, problems with it. But it's about making, and he says this numerous times throughout the book. It's about making music theory more welcoming for everyone. I mean, that's the subtitle of the book, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, at the end of that chapter where um, he talks about, you know, how basically we all, we all are racist in some manner, right? We have, yep. we have that impulse and we have been, and we continue to be in some ways. Um, 
that uh, his general hope, um, let me just read this, um, but I do believe that in the academic study of music currently, there are enough rational voices, white, black, and those of all other races, who can clearly see the racial and gender injustice that our white male in the Western system of music has wreaked. And I am generally hopeful now that structural changes can be made so that all musics, like all races of humans, can be heard and considered on equal footing, a simple goal to which any true civilization, any true democracy, should aspire. Yep. I mean, that's the goal, right? That's the goal. It's not about calling anybody out. Um, it's about just Well, and even if it is, like, that's some yeah. of it. Right, like, it he, is, that's he true. Is, right. He is yeah. kind of calling us all out. No, well, well right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, But that's, that's part of it. Right. That's mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever been through a DEI seminar, that's one of the first things they say yeah. is that like everyone in the space has to be willing to be called out because all of us mm-hmm. have an ingrained. Uh, this is we were literally like built in this like this is how we yeah. were made. This is the world that we live in, the society that we live in. And so if if no one ever calls it out, it's just going to live in it live in there. <laughs> Like, it has to literally yeah. be called out right. of you. Yeah, I think my, my kind of interpretation on that, I've done a lot of thinking about that just on my own, and my interpretation was you have to call yourself out. It's more mm-hmm. accountability mm-hmm. and that the end goal, accountability and blame, is not the end game here. But it's important. In order to get us there, we have to hold ourselves accountable every day, every mm-hmm. week every semester and if we're not doing that the end goal is still going to be so so far to get all musics you know on us on a as equal footing as we're going to get you know yeah we have to hold ourselves accountable we have to say this is what i've done this is what i'm going to do to improve this that's yeah and it's (laughs) it is in its own way incremental because we cannot wake up tomorrow having done all of it You know, I mean, that's I think when I said I feel re-energized in some ways, it's because it's like I can't wake up tomorrow and know everything there is to know about Chinese or Indian or Balinese or Ghanaian music. I can't like I can't learn all of that today. Um, And to imply that I could would be rude and ridiculous, you know. That would actually something a white person would say, actually. Right, Right. exactly. Like. So you know, I, I read a Wikipedia is, article and right. um, I'm going to go teach it now to my class. Right. <laughs> but the point is, like, I have to take a step, you know, keep keep finish this book and start another one. Like, mm-hmm. keep moving in in that direction, step by step. And there and, are people all over the country, all over the world, you know, thinking these thoughts, reading right. this book, you know, and making changes in their own little sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something to be excited about because I think Definitely. Uh, a lot of people are waking up to this. And uh, and it's the yeah. kind of work you can't do alone anyway. We have to all mm-hmm. do this work together. Be like, hey, here's something I found. Here's something I learned. Here's something that helped me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Well, that's a good word to end on. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And um, we hope you continue on uh, reading on music theory and making music more welcoming for everyone by Philip Yule. And uh, we will talk to you later. You just made it to the end of another episode of Note Doctors, the music theory and pedagogy podcast. 
Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review the podcast. And you can always reach us at notedoctorspodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or show ideas. Thanks for listening.